Aloha, everyone. I'm Eva Andrade, the host of Hawaii Family Forum's Triple F podcast, and that's for faith, family, and freedom. And once again, I'm with my co-host, Jim Hochberg. Welcome to the show, Jim. Well, thank you. Welcome. Hey, we're doing it again. We're doing it again. And we're doing it again and again and again, because every time we do a show, there's a new show that talks about something that somebody's getting mad at the government about. Somebody's suing somebody. I mean, this seems to be our ongoing roll and roll thing. So today we are going to be talking about the court case that was instigated because of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration's guidelines that came up. So let's chat about that. So, Jim, are you tired of having to review all of these court cases that keep coming up because people are not happy with what this administration keeps doing? Absolutely not. It doesn't. I, I actually like doing it because I can help other people understand and they can do their ministry with the information. That's the point. Well, and that's why we started the show. We started the show because people, what happens when people get upset about things? They just start making their own you know, they just start thinking about, okay, this is what this means to me. And then they start telling their friends and sometimes the information is inaccurate. It could be. So we want to make sure that the information that goes out and, is accurate. And in order to do that, we typically go straight to the horse's mouth for our source material. So in this case, talking about the OSHA lawsuit in Louisiana's Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, we are actually going to talk about what the judge wrote, the actually three judges wrote, um, in their opinion. Absolutely. So let's, let's do like we normally do. Let's give a little bit of a chronology of events so that people know what happened. So, okay. So in 1787, the Congress of the United States of America passed the constitution of the United States in 1789, it was ratified. That's where this starts. Well, actually, it starts in the beginning when the Lord breathed life into human beings upon this earth and, true and gave us the freedom that comes from only one place. That's true. This is the freedom that comes directly from God, and no man can take that away. That's true. But what I want to say is more important than this particular set of judges making this particular ruling in this particular case on the COVID mandate What's more important for us to realize is we need to exercise our right to vote. Oh, how did I not know Responsibly that? <laughs> so that we have uh, elected people, like in this case, President Biden and the people that he and the uh, Senate confirmed at the uh, Department of Labor that runs OSHA. If we have people in those positions of power due to the use of our vote, we could have avoided this whole mandate problem. And how, how is that? Well, according to the United States Constitution, Article if, 1. And if you need a pocket constitution, we want you to send me an email at info at hawaiifamilyforum.org, and we will get one in the mail to you, courtesy of Jim Hochberg. Yeah, and in fact... Get your friends to ask, too, because we'd like to give them. 
And then if you're watching this and you live in Hawaii and you want to volunteer to help me send out all this stuff, please do, because I am a one-man, one-woman office. So how is it that the federal government under President Biden can make an order that every employer with 100 or more employees, or actually 99 or more employees, according to the court opinion, have to require vaccination or weekly testing of their employees? How is that even possible under our structure of government. Well, our structure of government is the Constitution. And interestingly enough, and the court goes over this, and we're going to actually talk about what they said. Article 1 of the United States Constitution sets up the Congress, the legislative body. And in Section 7, uh, Section 8, they list the powers of Congress. And it says, Congress shall have the power to, da di da di da You ready? Go for it. Regulate commerce among the several states. So it's called the Commerce Clause. Okay. So the Commerce Clause allows Congress to have created the Department of Labor. And they created the Occupational Safety and Health Administration under the Department of Labor to make sure. And, and here's what OSHA is supposed to do. It is supposed to... Um, assure Americans safe and healthful working conditions and to preserve our human resources. And that sounds like a good thing on it, the is, surface. Well, it is a good thing because if you think about, you know, 100 years ago in the Industrial Revolution's youth, uh, working hours were not healthy, safety in uh, factories wasn't necessarily enforced. So that's why this came about. I'm not saying... The Department of Labor is not necessary, and I'm not saying uh, OSHA is not necessary, but the ability of OSHA and the Department of Labor to do whatever they do is limited by the legislation that's enacted by the Congress because we voted for those people, and they are limited to constitutional legislation under the Commerce Clause. So, so basically... What the first point is, please, please, please find people to vote for that actually like our system of government. Because what the Constitution of the United States is, it is a wall of separation between personal liberty and the government. The entire Constitution protects your liberty from the government. So if you're going to vote for people that don't like the restrictions on their exercise of power, you're going to lose your personal liberty protected by the Constitution because they're going to ignore the Constitution and uh, do things that are unconstitutional. I love that you clarified that because I know that when I talk to people, sometimes there is a big misunderstanding on what that wall of separation really means. And it's been misused over the past several years. Well, there's two walls of separation. The one I'm talking about is the entire Constitution. The one that was talked about by Thomas Jefferson in 1802, which is the religious liberty wall of separation between church and state, is a much smaller wall. Well, but I like that you made that bridge, that you're describing this in the way that I it should be looked at. I think it is, and I think we have to look at it that way. And I, and I love that. I mean, this podcast is called Faith, Family, and Freedom because how important it is to have your freedom, to live your faith, I mean, yeah, that's no, really that's what, the point. Yeah, that's the point. So that's my ministry. 
So going. So where did OSHA come from? OSHA came from Congress. Congress created the Department of Labor, and OSHA, like they created the Department of Health and Human Services, and then there's the National Institute of Health under that. It's it's that process. And, it's legislative. And how long have has, have they been around issuing these kind of guidelines, like the one we're talking about today? Decades and decades. I mean, seriously. Okay. So that's good to know so that people don't know that this was I just— I think it's part of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's administrative state. He's the one that kind of created Social Security Administration, Department of Health, all that kind of stuff after the Depression because the legislature in Congress, they figured we had to do a bunch of things because of what happened to the economy. Right. So on November 4th, OSHA delivers this information out to businesses saying if you have 100 or more employees, then you need to follow these guidelines for vaccinations. And what's interesting is paying attention to the details. From September, when President Biden said he was going to have OSHA do that, it was a vax mandate with no alternative testing, masking. And September, October, November 4th, OSHA announces they're going to have this mandate with the uh, testing and masking alternative. But even that wasn't truthful because until November 5th, when they actually did the legal thing that it takes for it to become a rule, was it really a rule? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't November 4th. It was actually November 5th. Very small detail, oh, well, but true. Well, yeah. So I mean, nothing happens just on the drop of a dime. I mean, there are well, it work took them two took, months. Yeah, it, it, they have to work up to it. But interesting, the minute these guidelines are introduced, you have companies that came out, and including some states that Correct. came out and, and employees, so and individual employees, employees, and just and religious and institutions. Sued, so immediately sued. Correct. Um, and the interesting thing, the OSHA statute specifically says if they make one of these emergency temporary standards, ETS, not the same as the FDA's emergency use authorization, but a kind of similar animal. We are going to put the link to the ETS in the description. So okay. I'm, I want people to go and look because, again, we're sending them to the source yeah, documents. Exactly. exactly. So um, I don't even remember what I was saying now. You interrupted that, me and it disappeared. This is how we we roll. If I want to throw Jim Hochberg a curve, I just have to make him yeah. not know where. So he's what at. were we talking no, about? No, you were talking about on November fifth, and you, all these companies and individuals um, come out and they sue the administration. Oh, that, that's right. Specifically, the ETS statute that allows ETSs to be done by OSHA under certain criteria also says if that ETS is going to be challenged. It doesn't get challenged in the federal district court. It starts at a three-panel court of appeal, which is highly unusual. Mm -hmm. Courts of appeal don't usually be, they, they don't serve as the court where a case starts. They are appellate courts. They review what the lower court judge did to see if he made a mistake, but not when there's an ETS. So this case got filed. In the Fifth Circuit, which sits in Louisiana, it covers Texas, Louisiana, those states all around there, and it's a three-judge panel. And they, on the on the Saturday after the announcement of the legal effect of the ruling, 
the court said, we're not going to allow this ruling to go into effect. We're going to stay the ruling until we have some briefing by the parties, and we're going to have a hearing to see whether the stay should continue through the case or not. That's what happened. And on November 12th, after that hearing, the court renewed, all three judges unanimously agreed, renewed the stay until the end of the case when they make a final ruling. So this doesn't say that it's unconstitutional for OSHA to have made this mandate. What they say is, under the standard for a stay of enforcement of a rule during a case, because the plaintiffs are probably going to win in the end, although the judges don't know because they haven't heard all the evidence, but based on what was in the briefs, they believe the plaintiffs are going to prevail. Therefore, they're not going to allow enforcement of the rule during the pendency of the case because it's going to irreparably harm people, and they talk about that, if it goes into effect and then it gets canceled. So it's on hold until the case has a final injunction. Uh, so people have to realize the court has not ruled that it's unconstitutional. What they've said is it probably is unconstitutional based on what we've seen so far. But they far. want to have a hearing. They want to get all the information Correct. out so that they Correct. can make. And you and I have talked about this. Even if we don't necessarily agree with people on some of these court cases, we appreciate the fact that they have a hearing so that we can get the facts and out there. I mean, I, I realize there are some times that having the case drives you insane because you feel like we shouldn't be there. But I, I like I like cases. It's what I do for I, a living. Yeah. Well, I mean, for the regular person, Jim, <laughs> the regular person. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I love talking to this one person. You know who you are. Watching the show going, oh, my God, they're doing that thing again. You know, your eyes are glazing no, over. No, no, no. There's but no we're glazing. Trying to make this it... is so interesting. Trust me. Well, I, I, what I, I want to do, Jim, is I want to get your thoughts because we're talking about um, the guidelines that came from OSHA, they issued on the day that they released, on the 5th, when they actually came out and released their guidelines, they did a fact sheet, which I'm going to put, um, I'm going to put right there in the um, description. So check it out. I, I want you to, I want to get your opinion on the reasons they say they have to do this. And we're going to talk about Yes. That. So this, now this is coming directly from OSHA. So what they're saying is, and you'll have to read the whole document to get it, but I'm giving you their bullet points. Okay. So the reason they had to go this route is unvaccinated workers face grave danger. That's because grave danger is one of the statutory requirements for an ETS in OSHA. And they actually say so that. So they have to use that they word, to, they, even if it doesn't fit. Well, they're claiming that evidence for that is in the ETS preamble. So, so if you want to see why, you know, their scientific reasons for why it's important, you got to go check out the ETS. And they're saying that it's necessary, absolutely necessary to have it because people are dying. And they can't leave it up to the human condition to say, I want to do this or I don't want to do this because people are losing their lives. And so they feel like they have to do that. Um, they want to clarify to people so that, you know, people don't get up in arms that the ETS is limit, limited to employers with 100 or more employees. So mom and pop businesses are not going to be affected by this. So it shouldn't be a problem for the, I was going to date myself. I was going to say for the IBM. That should be illegal. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I was going to say for the IBMs out there, people are like, what's IBM? 
Yeah, they used to be a big company. But anyway, so big companies. Now, and the judge shot them back with that point. Okay, so we're going we're to get, get into that. Okay. Um, well, it's interesting because the other thing that the their um, guidelines do not have is any religious exemptions. So if you're a church, you're a private school, you're a private hospital, too bad. No, because this is employment, which has Title VII, which already has a religious exemption accommodation, if it's reasonable, requirement. So they didn't have to put that in here because it's already, if you are covered by Title VII as an employer, you already have to reasonably accommodate the religious requests of your Except that as an attorney that does religious freedom cases, you know darn well that that doesn't always work out. Like it says. Well, people have to know their rights. Right. Okay. And so now they're also, now this is the biggest point that I want to get your thoughts on. The ETS preempts state and local laws. And they say, and I quote, the standard is intended to preempt states and political subdivisions of states from adopting and enforcing workplace requirements relating to these issues, except under the authority of the federally approved state And the judge pointed that right back at them and told them why they were flat wrong, and it's the opposite. This is a very interesting case. No, it's it's good. So So here's the thing. The question is, under the Constitution, the Commerce Clause, can OSHA do this? And like we said, the legislation that created OSHA created OSHA to assure Americans, quote, safe and healthful working conditions— and to preserve our human resources, okay? So what the judge said is OSHA was not, and not only was it not, it could not have been intended to authorize, I'm going to quote, workplace safety to make sweeping pronouncements on public health affecting every member of society in the profoundest of ways. Hmm. Think about it. You're being told You must put a needle in your arm and put medicine in your body whether you want to or not. That's a very profound interaction with your employer. And it affects every member of society. And the court said that is not constitutional under the Commerce Clause because they have to focus on issues in the workplace. And then they also said, and I love this, And the other thing you really want to remember is all three judges on the three-judge panel agreed with the result. They could have been split two to one or one to two, or they each could have had their own different reason to have a result, okay? But they agreed. So the court said the mandate, and this is very odd, it's both over-inclusive and it's under-inclusive. What that means is it covers too many people. And it doesn't cover enough people for the constitutional mandate for the Department of Labor and OSHA. So how is it over-inclusive? It applies to every employer and employee in all industries and workplaces without accounting for the differing risk factors biologically per individual worker. So it's overly inclusive. How is it underly inclusive? It's supposed to be saving employees from that quote-unquote grave danger in the workplace, but only if there are more than 99 employees. 
There's no concern for all those people in the workplace with this grave danger if they only have 98 coworkers. <laughs> so we kill off all the small businesses. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. And and they said it's it's the same thing with the health threat. It's supposed to be a health threat. Now, why threat do you think they that, did that? That creates grave danger and the health threat isn't a health threat if you only have 98 coworkers. Yeah, so why do you think they did that? Did they do that because they were worried that if they went with the smaller companies there'd be more? Okay, so I always tell you that, that you can't you jump can't into people's speculate mind. <laughs> what other people are thinking. Yeah, but you can uh, surely in your experience as an as an attorney You've been around the block. It's politics, man. It's politics. That's all it is. So the last reason that it's under-inclusive, and this is the biggest point, if there are fewer than 99 employees in that workplace, 98, 97, 2, 37, 100, less than 100, some of those workers biologically are very vulnerable to COVID. Some are not. The most vulnerable workers aren't covered by this based on the number of employees, not based on the grave danger and the health risk. That's where this judge was hitting them over the head. That they don't have statutory authority to do, what the judge said. Um, the other thing they said is it's interesting that this ETS special provision bypasses the usual six-month time period that it takes for an administrative agency like OSHA to pass a new rule, which this is, except this is an emergency temporary standard. Mm. When you pass a new rule, you have to publish the proposed rule, you have comments, period, you read the comments, and, and then you publish the result. The process for the ETS, different from that regular process, it requires, quote, delicate exercise of extraordinarily necessary provisions in exceptional circumstances. And the court said this mandate is not a delicate exercise of extraordinary power. And here's, this is great. The mandate is a, quote, one-size-fits-all sledgehammer that makes hardly any attempt to account for differences in workplaces or workers. And that's why it doesn't qualify under the Constitution for the Department of Labor's authority to regulate workplace safety. And the grave danger of COVID is greatly affected by the conditions in the workplace. If you work by yourself as a truck driver or if you work in a packing plant with 100 people shoulder to shoulder or a car factory. And the individual biology of each of those workers is affect, affects the grave danger of COVID, none of which they uh, dealt with. So they say that the mandate attempts to shoehorn an airborne virus that's both widely present in society outside the workplace and thus not particular to a workplace and it's also non-life-threatening to a vast majority of people and in, in, in employees. And because of that, it, it doesn't meet the standard for the ETS of the grave danger and the, all of their conversation about people dying. And the, interesting, according to, and they're quoting the president's 
office, 78% of the population 18 year, 12 years old or older are fully or partially inoculated against COVID. So for them, there's no grave danger. The court says that it it critical to note that the mandate makes no serious attempt to explain why OSHA and the president himself were actually against the vaccine mandate before they were for it. And so they're really slapping the government around. The most salient effect fact of all, the most important fact for this court was the ongoing threat of COVID is more dangerous to some employees than others. And the workplace population factors plus natural immunity from people that recovered play no role in this supposed requirement. So they said, we're not going to allow this to go into effect until we have a complete trial on the issue. And it's likely that the plaintiffs are going to win. And what what is the timeline for this? There isn't one. Okay. So, I mean, we could be doing this in six well, months? Well, it doesn't matter months? to me because the rule can't go into effect. I hope it takes 50 years. Who cares? So on, the, on, the web, on OSHA's website, they actually have what you had mentioned earlier, that they are taking written comments right now. So they've public. changed it now into it a says, rule. That's very interesting because the standard for a rule is less stringent than the ETS. Well, it's interesting because this is, this is what it says. It says the ETS on vaccination and testing was officially filed in the office of the Federal Register on November 4th, and it became effective, effective when it was published on, on November 5th. Written comments on any aspect of the ETS must be submitted by December 6, 2021 in docket number, and they give the docket So number. I want you to put that link yeah, we're gonna, on the thing. This Please will be on the screen. comment. Tell them vaccines are personal choice, and you don't want the government forcing you at work to get a vaccine or any of that kind of stuff. Please send in a comment. It can be whatever you want to say, but we need to inundate them. But more important than that, let's elect people with our vote that are not going to do this stuff because this is important to them. We really encourage you, as always, to stay plugged in. And what we're doing right now is we're looking for people like you who might be watching the show and thinking, you know, I really enjoy this show. We want to get out there a little bit more, but we need people to partner with us to make that happen. So please go to hawaiifamilyforum.org, donate, and give us some money so we can grow the show. We can only do what we can do, and it costs kala. Um, for those of you on the mainland watching this, that means it's money. It takes money to do that. Um, we are a 501c3 organization, so all donations to Hawaii Family Forum are fully tax deductible. We really need you to make a difference. So make sure you like this video, share it with your friends, subscribe, and hit that notification button so you'll know every time we upload a new video. And as Jim always says, comment, comment, comment. And we will see you next week. Mahalo for hanging in there. Aloha.